Good morning. Hello to the Ministry Center, folks. I am so glad that you're here to worship with us this Sunday, and and I hope your summer has been so great so far. It's good to have you. A new community, my folks, my people down there, hello. John, welcome back. I'm glad you, you, you're back. We survived without you, but we missed you. So, so glad you're here and had some rest and renewal. And I think rest and renewal, that's such a great way to describe the summer in general. It kind of feels in some ways like this extended Sabbath until the craziness of the school life begins. I have seen my neighbors out and about more, out in the cul-de-sac where we live. I've seen the dads get home a little bit earlier from work and, and all in time to prepare and sit back for the craziness that will begin in a little less than a month. The kids don't want to hear it. You moms and dads out there, you probably can't wait. For me, as a commuter who drives through Scotch Plains each and every morning, I'm not looking forward to that school traffic, but... There is something refreshing, too, about getting to see all the kids out and about, getting back into the routine of the school year, to see the kids buzzing around, doing kids' stuff. Routine, and I'll use the word structure, is it's so vitally important for kids, and I would contend for adults as well. I remember growing up, my parents would attempt, and the key word here is attempt, to do a summer contract with us. You had to read your Bible in the morning. You had to uh, also read this, the summer school reading list. And for every hour you did that, you got about, I think it was about an hour of screen time, a one-for-one -one transaction. And again, that word attempt is very key there. But we also had summer camps for routine, and they provided structure as well. And I loved coming home the past couple of weeks to my driveway that was filled more and more with sidewalk chalk after VBS each day as the kids had some structured time together to learn more about Jesus. And I love seeing that. You see, God, he loves structure. And, all, and we see this all over scripture. He provides structure for his people. He's a God of order, not of chaos. And it starts right off in creation when he takes nothing and makes everything. Each day forming new structures that all proclaim his goodness and his majesty. We see God's structure even in the times when the Israelites were wandering there in the desert. He provided the structure of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire by night to guide the people in their times of wandering. We see the consequences when there is no structure. And we see that in the book of Judges when people choose their own structure. There's that haunting line in, in the book of Judges there that you might be familiar with. And it says, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We see Paul set up structures for church leadership in, in, uh, in there in, in 1 Timothy where he, he gave qualifications for the leaders. And we see Jesus famously and cleverly valuing earthly structure when he says, Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to the Lord what is the Lord's. And all of that leads me back to our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Yes, it took me a little bit to get there, but we are back. You see, the Ten Commandments, they are just another way that God provides structure for his people. God gives human structure so that we can flourish by avoiding sin and in turn we fear the Lord. We don't need to go too far after the, the Ten Commandments to see this truth played out. It's right there in verse 20 in Exodus 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, so that you may not sin. 
This structure to godly living is a pattern in every single one of the commandments. There can't be a godly life if people are murdering each other. There can't be a godly life of structure if families are being ripped apart by adultery or kids who aren't respecting or honoring their parents. We can't have a a flourishing relationship and follow after Jesus if we are chasing around after all of these false idols. We will get burned out if we don't keep the Sabbath day holy. And finally, we would have no stability if there was no sense of godly ownership. And so I want to view this eighth commandment and our scripture verse for today in that light. I want to to view it in the light of structure and ownership. You shall not steal. And I think by the end we will find out that a simple commandment of do not steal is yet another example of how to cultivate our relationship with Jesus today. So, do not steal. I want to get up and say do not steal to everyone. Hope you all have a great rest of the day. See you next week. But Ted already stole that one, pun intended for you folks. And I might get fired if it was that short. But all kidding aside, I think we all have this innate sense that stealing is not right. It's wrong. No matter what culture you go to, no matter what country, stealing is not okay. Even kids have an acute sense that there is something wrong with stealing. I don't know about you, if you, but if you ever watched little ones playing with each other, if one takes what another one is, is playing with right out of their hands, what happens? Well, most of the time, the, the one that's been stolen from starts to cry. They, they lost their toy, and the mom or dad or caregiver will come over and say, Hey, you know, Johnny, it's not right to steal. you got to give that back. And so he gives it, gives it back to the other one, and once again, justice has been restored, and all is right in their little world most of the time. But what started out as as a truth for just the little kids, it continues on even to today. Sometimes stealing becomes a little less apparent, but nevertheless, it still exists. And in order to show this, even though I think we can all identify that this is true, I want to go to the book of 1 Kings chapter 21, where we meet a man named Naboth. That's a tongue twister. Now, Naboth has the unfortunate reality of living next to King Ahab's summer palace. King Ahab was the worst king that there possibly was. And in chapter 16, it is recorded, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all those that were before him. And newsflash, all the kings that were before Ahab were not great kings either. To say that they collectively did not fear the Lord and follow his commandments, that would be an understatement. So here we have Naboth next to Ahab, arguably the worst king that Israel ever saw. And so Ahab asked Naboth for his vineyard because, well, it was near my house. So a property that Naboth rightfully owns as an inheritance from his father is now being requested by the king of the land. And at the surface level, nothing is too weird about this, right? But, but we have to remember, and I expect all of you to know this, that at the time, God's statute said that we could never sell the land that was inherited from your father. So Naboth is put in this tricky spot of breaking God's statutes, breaking God's commandments, or succumbing to the king's request. The worst king in the history of Israel. And so as an upright citizen, Naboth says, no, I'm good, thanks, God's good, I'm not going to give it to you. Well, Ahab, you can't handle that at all. And if you thought the terrible twos were bad, the terrible Ahabs were worse Right there it says, Ahab went out of his home vexed and sullen because of what Naboth had said to him. 
and he lay down on his bed, turned away down his face, and he would eat no food. And this type of behavior back then was synonymous for, for bereavement, for losing someone that you loved so very much or something that you loved so very much. And here Ahab was, mourning like, like a little child, the loss of something that wasn't even his in the first place. And then we see Jezebel, she comes and she says, what's wrong? He says, he won't give it to me. And it's Jezebel who then manipulates the childish Ahab to use his power to steal that vineyard and have Naboth killed. I think in all of this, in this story, we see four things that we learn about stealing from the childish king of Ahab. And I think all of this will end in a little bit of a discussion on the paradox of godly ownership. So first thing we see in Naboth's vineyard, stealing is often precipitated by not getting what we think we deserve. Ahab had this twisted idea that somehow this vineyard that was next to his summer home, not even his real home, his summer home, should be his. I think we all, though, are the masters of deceiving ourselves to think that we deserve more than we have. That somehow we play it up in our heads that because of our status, because of the work that we put into something, whatever it is, we deserve more than we have. We deserve things that aren't rightfully ours. Because Ahab was king, because he had this sense of status, he could own that piece of land, so he thought. We believe that we deserve more than we rightfully have. And this is the first pitfall of stealing that Ahab gets trapped into. I think in contrast to these verses, there are verses that just ring true for me from Psalms 8, 3 through 4, where David, a king after God's own heart, says, When I look at your heavens... And notice how he says, your heavens, he doesn't take ownership for something that's not his, but was created by God. David says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place. And here we see the blatant contrast between Ahab and David in the next line, where David says, what is man that you would be mindful of him? So instead of trying to take credit and steal someone else's work that he doesn't deserve like Ahab does, David, on the other hand, is giving complete credit and control to the one who deserves it all, and that is the Lord. Tim Keller has this great line that he says, Pride is a form of cosmic plagiarism, claiming to be the author of something that is actually a gift. Stealing is often precipitated by pride, which wants to take credit for something that is not actually yours. Secondly, stealing is a way to get what we want without putting in the work. Ahab stole the property from, from Naboth without working for it. And I want to spend some time talking here about a theology of work. Because really, the opposite, the opposite of stealing is work. God created us to work. Again, we go back to the story, the creation story. God created for six days. He did work for six days and on that seventh day he rested. Before the fall, it's recorded that, that, that God told Adam that he should work and that he can work. And work, it has, this, it has this positive identity in God's economy. I think God uses work to build us up and most importantly, build up his kingdom. And so God invites us to be a part of the work that he is doing in the kingdom. He could do it himself. God could do it himself if he wanted to. But he wants us to enjoy him by being in a fruitful relationship with him through Christ where we get to do his work. And if you don't believe me, check it out in Ephesians. It's right there in Ephesians 2. Paul talks about us being God's workmanship. In Ephesians 2 he writes, we are God's workmanship. 
created in Christ Jesus. And then for what? So that we can eat, drink, and be merry? No, but for good works. Result of our hearts and minds being transformed by the renewing of our spirits through Christ. That's where we find a new purpose in life. In fact, I had a guy call me randomly, actually just today at work. And, and at this week, he, he was asking me, he says, he wants to get connected to, to and find more of his purpose. And he says, you know, I'm a born-again believer, and I want to do something now about it. I want to share this gospel. I want to share Jesus that I've, that I've come to know. And I said, it sounds like God has something for you. And I connected him with a local church that will continue to preach the gospel to him day in and day out. You see, this man was transformed by Christ. And now he wants to be put to work for Jesus. He wants to be put to work in the kingdom. And this is exactly the model that we see in Ephesians 2.10. So as we work, no matter what it is that we do, we can do it for the glory of God. We were created to work. And if we are stealing, we're not working for his glory. Proverbs 28, 20 says, Honest people will lead a full, happy life. But if, you're in, but if you're in a hurry to get rich, you're going to get punished. Work produces character. Stealing reduces character. And so we see that in the story of Ahab, that first stealing is often precipitated, by, not getting what we des- by, by getting something that we think we deserve. And second, stealing is a way to get what we want without actually putting in the effort. And so third, stealing, other, st- stealing it, it, it tells God that material things are more important than the Lord. And this again goes back to the first commandment. You shall have no, you shall have no other gods before me. As I mentioned earlier, Naboth was following the statutes of the Lord But Ahab, not being familiar with those statutes because he was going off and doing his own thing, living a life contrary to what is God's plan for him, he came and he he asked Ahab, and and, and Ahab's heart was just filled with childish and idolatry, and it shows right there in the story that stealing stuff, it means that we end up trusting in stuff more than we trust in the Lord. John Piper sums it up well when he says, stealing comes from being deceived about what is truly desirable. He goes on to say that Satan came to Jesus right there in the wilderness and tempted him to turn stones into bread and to short-circuit the way to the cross. Don't go the way of self-denial. Use the powers at your disposal to get what you really want in the easiest way, not the painful way. And so Satan comes to us and he tempts us to steal, to steal from our employees with unjust wages or from our employers with shoddy work and and extended breaks, or from the store by by shoplifting, or from the government on our our tax returns. He tempts us to steal and short-circuit the way of justice and hard work. And he lies, and he says that this fleeting pleasure of possession of these things is better than a hard day work, and a clear conscience and a love for other people. And those who are deceived steal. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew verse 15, or, or chapter 15, verse 19, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, and theft. So where does stealing come from? It comes from the heart. It comes from a heart that is corrupt. It comes from a heart that, that has desires that are born out of deceit. It comes from Ahab's heart. It comes from your heart, and it comes from my heart. Finally, Ahab shows us that stealing is often compounded by other sins. 
Ahab just didn't steal. He also abdicated his authority to a deceptive agent of Jezebel. He was complicit in lying and he, he murdered Nahum. Sin compounds sin. And what not a better way to demonstrate this than VeggieTales. For the kids out here who grew up in the 90s or the parents of those who, who raised kids in the 90s, you might remember Larry Boy and the Fib. It was a little blue ball from outer space. It comes down into the sleepy town of Bumbleburg, and it's the size of a softball. Then Junior, a cute little asparagus, disobeys his dad's wishes and tries to, col- tries to take his collectible bowling plate that was on top of the shelf, and he ends up smashing that plate to, plate to pieces. After Junior lies about all this, that little ball grows. And then it continues to grow and grow until it begins to terrorize this town. And it destroys everything. Stealing, just like that little lie, leads to compounded issues that pull us further and further away from the heart of God. The commandment, do not steal, is meant to give us structure so that we can avoid sin and have a flourishing relationship with God. But I think it begs one final thought, one final question. Can we steal from God? The answer, I think, is not quite straightforward. It's yes and no. No. We cannot steal from God because that would assume that there is something that we could add or take away from God. God is complete. He's perfect. We can't do that. If I steal a shovel from my neighbor, that neighbor now has one less shovel. I can't take anything from God like I can my neighbor. But in another way, the answer is yes. In Malachi 3, God basically says, I do not change. You are the ones who change. I am faithful to you. And then in verse 8, Malachi writes, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings. Friends, we do not own a thing, and that is the paradox of this whole passage. When I signed the title to my home, and people got excited, look, you now own a home, Chris. First of all, I said, well, the bank really owns it, not me. And second of all, this whole thing is God's anyway. The money that Sarah and I have in our bank account, that's the Lord's. The car that I drove here to preach, that's the Lord's. The gifts that I have been given, that's the Lord's. The talents I use at work, those are given to me by God. That dumb, broken garage door opener, that's the Lord's too. This whole thing is a gift, and we are merely stewards of that. And God tells us again in the creation story, he tells Adam and Eve to subdue the earth, have dominion over the earth and the birds and the sea creatures and everything. Because God has given it to them. Not because Adam and Eve deserved it, but because it's a blessing from God. We are blessed that God chooses us to be stewards of his creation. So your work, your life, your family, everything that we have is a gift. So if someone told you, here's a loan, just give me back a little portion of it. That's all. You own the whole thing, you know, but but just give me back a portion of it. I would say, hey, where do I sign for that? You know, I find that there is joy and there is freedom when I think about my tithe and my offering in that way. We all have been blessed by God in many different ways. Why would I want to withhold something that is merely a gift from God that's not even rightfully mine in the first place? I think about Jesus commending the widow's might. It doesn't matter how much stuff we have. It doesn't matter at all about that. 
a tithe and an offering. It's just a recognition that God is, is still in control of life. It's a recognition that, going back to the very first point that I made, that everything we have we do not deserve because God is the maker of heaven and earth. And so, as a church family, I hope that we can take that call seriously to give out, not out of a, a duty, but out of a joy, knowing that God is truly the owner of all these things. Let's not fall victim to King Ahab's mentality of thinking that we deserve things that aren't even ours to begin with. So now, I'd like to call the ushers forward for round two of the morning tithes and offerings. No, I'm just kidding. My heart really, though, is that the, that the eighth commandment of not stealing would lead us to a healthier understanding of work and of ownership. Work is good. Ownership is great. But it all belongs to the Lord. I'll close with a story. Way back in the day, there was something called drug fair, and it was in Berkeley Heights. I would wander the, the aisles with my mom, and by wander, I mean I really was just in the car as my mom went and bought mom things. I don't know what she was getting at the time. But, uh, but one time, after one of the trips that we had to drug fair, she was putting me back into the car, and as she put me back into the car, she noticed that I had something in my hand. And she quickly learned that I that I, her one-year-old, was on track to be a serial stealer. She rushed back into the store and she apologized profusely for her errant son behavior. Turns out, I had snagged baby Jesus from a nativity scene. So, can you steal from God? I don't know, but you can definitely steal baby Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we have been given so many gifts. Thank you so much for your son Jesus, who is the ultimate gift that we have been given, that we do not deserve at all. God, you give us life. You give us life to the fullest, and we don't deserve a thing. And so God, when the temptation to steal comes, Lord, when those times come where, where we do want to take things that aren't ours, where we do want to make shortcuts, may we, may we remember that you didn't take a shortcut, that you went right to the cross for us. And God, we stand here and we pray and we are eternally grateful for that. Jesus, we love you so much, so much. Thank you for loving us too. It's your name we pray. Amen.